And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome into the Athletic Baseball Show. Tim McMaster here with Ken Rosenthal for the Mailbag Edition on this Monday. The lockout, it is over. Players had to report to spring training on Sunday, so everything is great with baseball, right? Well, one small problem, Ken, and that is that not everyone reported to spring training on Sunday because there are hundreds of players who have not signed. There's a lot to get to here. It's going to be this frenzy that we talked about before we even got to this point. That it was inevitable. You had all these players. They had to get places. But as of we're recording right now, uh, Carlos Correa, still no team. Freddie Freeman, still no team. Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, all these guys. And you've been reporting transactions all weekend long. I know you're probably tired at this point recording on a Monday morning. The biggest transaction so far, though, I would have to say, since none of those guys have signed at this point, is the big trade. Josh Donaldson going to the Yankees. That was a huge trade, and it has enormous impact for both clubs and raises a lot of questions for both clubs, Tim. One of those deals that you have to look at and look at again to really start to grasp fully what these things are about. And I'm still not sure I grasp it fully, but let's start with the Yankees. Now, they clearly, as Joel Sherman wrote this morning in the New York Post, are conceding that the Gary Sanchez experiment the years-long Gary Sanchez experiment, did not work. They are giving up on him. They do not want him to be their catcher any longer. They are also conceding that they need a shortstop, something that they should have conceded quite some time ago. They were going to go with Gio Urshela in that spot, but Gio Urshela is more a third baseman than a shortstop, so that wasn't necessarily going to work. Isaiah Kainafalefa is a shortstop. He comes back. Josh Donaldson will play third base now. Now, that is the most interesting part of this whole thing for me. Donaldson has 46 to 50 million coming, depending upon how his buyout works. I believe those are the correct numbers. Don't hold me to it. (laughs) And that's over two years. And then, of course, the buyout kicks in. He's 36. He played 135 games last year, had a good year. He's not the defender he once was. But clearly, with an older player like that, there is the risk that he will suddenly decline sharply. Yet the Yankees seemingly want to take on that risk. They get the shortstop as well. And where this leaves them right now is in need of a left-handed hitting first baseman. Guess what? There are quite a few available. They're expensive in one way or another. Freddie Freeman financially, Matt Olson from the standpoint of prospects, Anthony Rizzo, less expensive as a free agent, and he ultimately could be their choice if they don't get one of the two bigger guys. They're going to look entirely different offensively. They're going to look entirely different defensively. And if you check where they are now, assuming they get one of those first basemen, they've got essentially five infielders for four spots. 
I'm talking about the first baseman to be named, Glaber Torres at second, Kainer Falefa at short, and then DJ LeMahieu, of course, at third base, as well as Donaldson. DJ can bounce around. He'll play different positions. So if Donaldson isn't capable of playing 130 games or so, they have options. That's good. Luke Voigt, I would imagine, gets traded in some scenario right now, unless they strike out completely at first base, but I don't see that happening. So that is where the Yankees stand. The Twins, I know they're not as famous a team, but they're equally interesting. So they had traded for Kainer Falefa just a couple days earlier. He was going to be their shortstop. We're thrilled with our middle infield now. We've got Polanco <laughs> at second. We're going to be really good defensively. Well, now that whole equation has changed. Sanchez will be one of their catchers, along with Ryan Jeffers. They get Gio Urshela probably to play third base, and they need a shortstop. As Dan Hayes wrote this morning for The Athletic, he is our Twins beat writer, that could mean that the Twins are a player for Trevor Story. Trevor Story has been considering multiple offers, some long-term, some short some to play shortstop, some to play other positions. His preference is to stay at shortstop, and it would make a lot of sense if he would ultimately be the Twins guy. He would fit. I don't see Correa there. He's just going to be too expensive for the Twins' liking. What is interesting about the Twins from my perspective is that they weren't a very good team last year. They've got all kinds of pitching questions, really instability up and down that rotation. They acquired Sonny Gray yesterday and they've got Dylan Bundy but the rest of it is talented but unproven I'm not exactly sure where they're going with this I do like the fact that they're trying just like the Washington Nationals are trying with their addition of Nelson Cruz and Steve Ciszek and Ejir Andrianza but where this all leads them let's just say they've got pieces still to add so big moves last night we expect more today I know fans initially were saying oh where are the trades, guys? Where are the free agent <laughs> signings? It takes a little bit to kind of get going. Remember, they could not have contact, at least we assume they could not have contact, before the lockout ended. And then once it did end, talks and negotiations started. So still to go. Freeman, Correa, Story, Bryant, Castellanos, and others. And one last thing, Tim, before we get to the mailbag. I wrote last night about Correa and the possibility of him taking a one-year deal. And I believe in my first tweet to the link, I said, would Carlos Correa take a one-year deal? Never a smart move to ask a question on Twitter because the <laughs> answers all came back, no, 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 you idiot. Well, there are circumstances that I believe might push him in that direction or at least make that an option for him. It would be a one-year deal, first of all, in a, at a huge number. 35, 40, I suggested 45 million, highest one-year salary of all time. And the reason he would do it is because it's March 14th already. The right. season starts in three and a half weeks. I don't see an obvious fit. Now, for Carlos Correa, teams will make things happen and create openings for him. That's possible. And certainly Scott Boris, his agent, has a history of making great deals appear seemingly out of nowhere. I wrote that. It's just, from what we know now, I'm not sure I see it happening. And if he went to a one-year monster deal, he goes back on the market next offseason at age 28. Now, the risk, of course, is he's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay productive. But you go back at 28, you're still the youngest shortstop on the market. 
younger than Trey Turner, younger than Xander Bogarts, if he opts out, and you're in a great position. And at that point, the industry revenues seemingly will have rebounded from these two years of COVID reduced revenues, put it that way. So it's an interesting scenario. I'm not a complete idiot, I don't think, and I presented it. I'm not sure it's going to happen that way. I raised all kinds of qualifiers, but at the same time, this is a very unusual circumstance, and we may see some unusual things happen. So you have Correa without the obvious fit that you mentioned. Freddie Freeman, it seems like it's it's Dodgers, Braves, maybe somebody else jumps in. You haven't heard much about Chris Bryant so far. So who do you, who's the next domino to fall in your mind? Tim, from a timing standpoint, I don't know. Those yeah. are impossible to predict. But I will say Seattle is going to do something. And they were on Bryant and Story before the lockout. I would expect maybe Bryant is a central focus. Kyle Schwarber is another big name out there. He's getting intense demand because teams saw what he did last season and are convinced now that he is going to be a dominant player in this league. Seattle is going to do some things. Seiya Suzuki is still out there as well. So there is still a lot to sort out here, a lot to get done in the next few days and maybe even the next few weeks. And I don't have any predictions on how it will shake out. I could not have predicted what happened last night, <laughs> and I could not have predicted a lot of things. Well, it's certainly going to be a lot of fun. It's fascinating to watch all these things get done so quickly. And it, it makes me think maybe there wasn't any tampering because there was like a 48 to 72 hour window there where a n not a lot was happening and it seemed like things really geared up from unless there. tim they were just holding off to make it look good. <laughs> they didn't for for optics yeah that's possible too uh all right let's move on to the mailbag hey this is ken i'm not available right now please leave a voicemail if you want to get involved next week, of course, two ways to do it. You can call us, the number is 646-543-7072. Leave us a voicemail there or email tabaseballshow at gmail.com. All right, we had to throw out a whole bunch of questions regarding the lockout because, of course, it's over, but still lots of good questions to get to, including this one, Ken, from Jordan, who is grappling with something that I think a lot of baseball fans are right now. Jordan says, I love baseball. Always have, always will, with the increasing likelihood that MLB games are canceled. Now, they weren't, obviously. Um, I find myself conflicted. The second that games begin again, I'll be there with my MLB.tv subscription, watching my favorite out-of-market teams. I've read several articles indicating that the players and more prominently the owners are doing or what they're doing is alienating the fans. While I agree, I have no intentions of moving on from supporting the game I love. However, I hate knowing that my unwavering support is only adding to MLB's unashamed confidence that fans will be there after the lockout. Is there any possible way to support the game without necessarily supporting the owners and MLB? Or am I the type of sucker MLB is relying on to be there when the dust settles? I don't see how you can support the game by buying tickets or watching through some kind of television subscription without somehow supporting the owners and, for that matter, the players. So <laughs> I guess you could walk around with a sign outside the ballpark. I don't know what you could do, but I don't see how that would be possible. And I get your concerns and I get your frustration. We all do. We were all extremely frustrated during the lockout. It reached at several moments seemingly the point of absurdity. At the same time, I felt that if no games were missed, and no games will be missed, that 
fans ultimately would come back and come back in full force. I thought if you missed 20, 30 games, then you're talking about something else and you tick people off beyond the point of tolerance. But at the same time, I just don't expect people to turn away from the game because the owners and players spent three months in the offseason fighting. Now, granted, spring training is shorter. I get that. And granted, the regular season is going to have a little bit of a different look starting later, ending later, more double headers. But at the same time, the game is back. We're getting 162. We've got five years of an agreement now. And if I were just a fan and not also employed in this industry from a journalistic standpoint, this would not turn me away. Now, I can't speak for everyone, and everyone is entitled to their own opinion. But there's nothing wrong with supporting the people who play the sport, even the people who own the teams. They're putting the product out there, and if you want to watch the product, you got to pay. I think the easiest way to move on as a fan is to separate the fandom from the business and just to enjoy the game itself now that we're back to that, right? Every business has their labor issues. Teachers go on strike. Truck drivers have problems and labor stoppages. All of these things go on. You just have to get past it. Enjoy what you love about the game. Don't worry about the business. All right, next question comes from Lee Kemp, and he's talking about something that's come up really every so often in baseball, and that is uh, the antitrust exemption. He says, as I've watched this lockout unfold, I can't help but feel that negotiations would have progressed differently if players had legitimate alternative leagues within the U.S. to play for. In my view, owners have a competitive advantage in negotiations due to their ability to control the labor market through the antitrust exemption legislation. Ken, in your non-lawyer opinion, would removing the antitrust exemption protection from MLB be a good thing for baseball by allowing the formation of new professional leagues, or would rival leagues ultimately fail, similar to failed football leagues like the USFL, XFL, AAF, etc.? What types of arguments could potentially lead to the overturning of this exemption? Thanks for the show and reporting. I'm a U.S. service member currently serving overseas and greatly appreciate the distraction provided by The Athletic and its baseball podcast lineup. Number one. Uh, thank you for your service. We appreciate that, obviously, and it's really nice to hear from you. Now, this is a great question, and I would advise anyone with questions about the antitrust exemption and how it works and what it affects to go back to Evan Drellick's archive in The Athletic and find the story he wrote about this. It was some months ago, but he got into all the details. I'll try to give you some highlights. I am not a lawyer, and I don't fully understand how the lifting of the exemption would affect things, but these are some things that have been reported by Evan and others. Franchise movement, that would be something that would be less restricted. The league could not control it, and teams could essentially move however they want. You've seen in the NFL freer franchise movement than we see in baseball. As far as forming a new league, yes, it would be possible, but I would imagine just as the NFL splinter leagues have had a hard time kind of catching on that it would be the same in baseball. Now, one thing that has come up in Evan's article and elsewhere is this might help minor leaguers if the exemption was lifted. They could no longer set a scale for paying them. They would obviously face more competition in that regard. Keep in mind, baseball is the only sport with an antitrust exemption. And what an antitrust exemption enables them to do is not have a competitive industry the way other industries operate. So things would change for sure. And Congress threatens this once in a while, but 
generally speaking, Congress has a lot more on its plate than simply dealing with baseball's antitrust exemption. And I would suggest that now is, again, one of those times. <laughs> yeah, certainly is. All right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The international draft is a bit of unfinished business with the new CBA can. The side's kind of kicking that can down the road a bit. And Marco says, there's been a little bit of talk about implementing an international draft, but it seems that the players are fairly opposed. Do you think it's something they might consider if draftees immediately become restricted free agents? Any team could sign any player using their international money pool, but the team that drafted an international player would have the right to match whatever offer that player has given in the draft choice, teams would have to weigh how much they could offer to other players while still keeping enough to protect their own picks. It seems like a system that would help the smaller market teams compete for the best prospects while still allowing these players to test the open market. Who says no? The league does. And it's a good question. And certainly the international draft, it's a complex issue. We've written about this too. Uh, I did with Maria Torres back in January, just kind of the way the system works in the Dominican Republic, how it's corrupt, and how baseball, Major League Baseball believes that the draft will help clean that up in some ways. Others suggest that it can be cleaned up without a draft if Major League Baseball would simply try to do that or take a greater interest in doing that. Debatable, I don't know. One thing about a draft always is that it does create, with hard slotting, I should say, and that's what this draft would have, greater cost control. Now, there is a hard cap on the international system right now, but with a draft, not only would you get a hard cap, you'd get individual teams unable to pay individual players more than a certain amount that they drafted them for. So it would work almost almost like it does in the amateur draft domestically, but in the amateur draft domestically, teams can do a little bit more, pay one player here, another player there, and still stay at its pool number. So that is one reason baseball is seeking the draft. They want each team to have the same chance to get players along these lines. Some teams have invested more internationally over the years than others. And in a way, that's kind of an unfair leveling of the playing field. For instance, the Orioles for years, years and years, did not do anything internationally. And now they're going to get the chance really to catch up. And other teams object to that. But by and large... The league wants this, and they don't want a situation, I believe, in which players essentially would still be free to choose their next team, even though that's something the union would want for these guys, even though they're not in the union. So it's a complicated situation. I don't know that I've explained it very well, but I just don't see MLB 
wanting a draft that would really not be a draft. It would really still give players the right to do whatever they want and sign at different levels. Yeah, that doesn't really get the, the corruption out of it, I don't think, if, if you're still dealing with that stuff. All right, one thing with the new CBA is it is going to be easier eventually to make rule changes, and Judd Seymour has a question about some rule changes. In fact, the deadening of a ball. I have long believed that deadening the ball would solve many of baseball's watchability problems. Unpopular opinion, I know. Deadening the ball would encourage hitting for average and getting on base again because not everyone in the lineup would be a home run threat. This would decrease strikeouts as more batters would be looking for contact rather than an all-out approach because the majority of batters wouldn't be able to hit home runs at a high enough rate to justify them hitting over the shift and out of the park. Batters trying to again get on base would go the other way and the value of the shift would be greatly diminished and over time be used to only in extreme situations. I know that home runs are exciting, but if MLB made home run hitters more rare, wouldn't that just add more action by making teams less reliant on home runs while making the home run even more exciting because of rarity? It's kind of interesting, Ken. I was thinking of this question because when you think of the last strike and when baseball after 94 was having so much issues, it was actually the home run that saved it. And now Judd is thinking the opposite way. Yes, that is an interesting point, no doubt. I just don't see it happening. Home runs are too popular. And I don't believe that the sport wants to bring back some version of the dead ball era. Now, I understand the point, And we've all complained. Well, not all. A lot of us have complained about the lack of action in today's game. Not enough contact being made. And not enough balls in play, right? And triples and all those kinds of things that seemingly have disappeared. You deaden the ball, you force hitters to focus more on making contact. Perhaps some of those problems are alleviated. But at the same time, Timmy, that's a great point you made. Home runs brought the game back before. It's hard to imagine that a lack of home runs would bring the game back. People enjoy them. And yes, they would be more rare and more special, but they're pretty rare and special now. So I don't see that happening. And... It also maybe would create too great an advantage for pitchers. I don't know how exactly that would play out, but bottom line is, in the bigger picture, I don't see baseball wanting to do anything along those lines, at least dramatically. Now, those skeptics out there will say, ah, they've messed with the ball quite a bit in recent years. I get it. (laughs) And we know that some interesting things have gone on with the baseball, but deadening the ball, I don't believe, in a major way, would have an effect they did it kind of in a minor way last year but i don't think in a major way they'd want to go there all right we have a team specific question from noah in pittsburgh hey ken i'm thinking about my Buccos, and i I know they're not going to have the greatest year of them all in 2022 but when you look at the young talent this organization has and i know that there were reports brian reynolds had denied a extension and all these other things how do the young kids that come out of the Pirates organization right now? So I'm thinking shortstop O'Neill Cruz. I'm thinking Brian Reynolds. And I'm thinking Brian Hayes, the third baseman. Who do you think should be top priority for an extension out of those three guys? All right, fellas, as always, enjoy the show. And let's just say this. I'm so glad baseball's back, and I'm sure you guys are too. First of all, and I don't mean to be disrespectful in any sense, because your question is very fair considering the way the Pirates are run, but my answer 
to which one of those players should the Pirates focus on for an extension would be all three. At some point, this team has to push the button that says go. They've done that the other way for too long now, several years, and those three players that you mentioned are potential cornerstone players, guys that you'd want on your team, guys to build around. And for the Pirates simply to keep churning and keep trading for prospects, at some point that has to stop. So you don't just commit to Cruz, you don't just commit to Reynolds, you don't just commit to Brian Hayes, you commit to those three and you maybe commit to some others too that are coming that you really like. What is going on with Pittsburgh is one of the more offensive things going right now in the sport. The Orioles would be the second in the way they have not put it together for several years. Now the Orioles seem to be going forward here and they've got a good young core as well, maybe even a better young core coming than Pittsburgh. But... Their situation is similar in this respect. No more churn. Let's go. Let's compete. Not so hard. Not such a bad thing. Yes, it raises the stakes. That's the whole point. This is a sport. It's competition. And I don't want to see the Pirates trade any of those three guys. I want to see them extend them all. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it, all teams. All right, next question is Andrew Tanker says, it seems like not a soul on earth likes Rob Manfred. That's a little bit of a stretch. Let's keep it to baseball here, Andrew. But <laughs> So I'm curious, what would it take to get rid of this guy? I know that he works for the owner, so technically we are just made mad at them, but wouldn't it behoove them from a PR angle at least to get someone that fans don't absolutely detest? Thanks. I wrote about this the other day. And I believe my first sentence was, he's not going anywhere, or something to that effect. And he's not going anywhere because he makes the owners money. And he has done a great job in that respect. And if you read that article I wrote last week about the luxury tax, Gene Orza, a former executive with the Players Association, said Manfred was actually a great choice for them because you put someone with labor expertise in that position and it has served them well. Where it hasn't served them well, as you point out, is from a public relations standpoint with fans and also from a player relations standpoint with the people who play this game. And that's what I wrote about last week, how he talks about wanting to improve relations with players. He did that right after the lockout. He was asked three questions about it in an 11-question news conference, the poor relations between the league and players. He talks about wanting to improve that. I don't know that he can. I don't know that he really is motivated to, but it is something that would behoove him to do. With fans, too. Now, a commissioner, to some degree, is never going to be popular. You make a decision, some people will like it, some people will not like it. But at the same time, if Manfred could project a warmer, fuzzier image, it would help him. And it's not easy for him. It does not come naturally for him. But as far as him getting removed by the owners... I don't see that happening anytime soon. He's been a successful commissioner for the owners, if not for the sport in general, and that's how they keep score. They're not keeping score necessarily in the ways that fans might be or even in the way that players might be. They're looking at their pocketbooks, and they've got a lot of revenue coming in this sport. Streaming, gambling, expansion fees, and with labor peace now, or at least a labor agreement for the next five years, I would expect baseball starts roaring again. If you're an owner, too, it's always nice to have somebody else for the plant, for the fans to kind of hate, right? Then, then they're not that's looking a very at good you point. quite as much. They're looking no, at... No, Tim, that's Bob a great point. And, and yes, he is the out front guy. He takes the punches for them, and that is part of the job. Goodell faces that in the NFL. 
So I don't know enough about other sports to really comment on other commissioners, but I do know Goodell is a guy that, yes, is the out front guy and takes heat. And that's the position Manfred is in. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the nano experience a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. All right, Dan Zerby is back with the next question. He says, hey, Ken, I've been kicking this question around my own mind for a while while I also trying to find the proper way to frame it to you. I want to be careful not to sound like an angry fan spouting off against the very media that keeps me informed on all things baseball. But I do want to ask, do you feel a better job could be done of covering the shortcomings in baseball? Take the strike zone, for example. I am not a proponent of the electronic strike zone, nor am I a proponent of sweeping issues under the rug. I'm not suggesting we completely ignore the issue of the strike zone, as you pointed out in recent mailbags, it is a real issue that can't be ignored. Again, I'm not proposing we simply ignore this. The game isn't perfect, nothing is. However, it sometimes feels that more than half the conversation revolves around those issues. If a friend was to recommend a new band to you and a half of what they said to describe them was that they wish they did it differently, that's probably not a band recommendation you would take. So how are we expecting to suck in the average or casual fan when they can't even simply flip on the game? or MLB Network without hearing about top voices talking about what needs to be fixed. I'm not sure how I understand this complaint because at one... Hold on, I'll start that again. I'm not sure I quite understand where you're going here, Dan. On one hand, you seem to be suggesting that the media doesn't cover certain issues enough, like perhaps the strike zone. And on the other hand, you're saying there's too much of a focus on the negative. Now, As for the particular issue itself, it does demand 
perhaps more attention. I would kind of agree with that. A whole article on the strike zone and how changes might affect it one way or the other might be warranted. Might be something we should do at The Athletic. I won't disagree with that. But as far as covering the sport aggressively, we do that at The Athletic. We are going to continue to do that. And that, I would hope, is actually one of our trademarks at this point. That we do not simply lay back and let things be necessarily. If we see things, if we can find things out that warrant reporting and discussion, we're going to do that. So the strike zone is a good place to go. I'm not sure I'm going to get to it today because we're going to have a million transactions. (laughs) But perhaps that's something we should consider. I would agree with that. All right, one last question. This one from Ryan in West Virginia. Big West Virginia University fan. He wants to know if you have any insight for 2022 on the plans of the Blue Jays and Orioles on former Mountaineer pitchers Alec Manoa and John Means. Love the show. Hopefully the lockout is over. Two interesting pitchers in the AL East. One is quite young, and that's Alec Manoa, and the other is more established, and that would be John Means. Manoa is a guy we're expecting big things from. I think everyone is. And he is projected by fan graphs and most of their different projection systems to have an ERA between 315 and 34 this year, somewhere in that range. 10 plus strikeouts per nine, a guy who's going to be worth two wins or so in wins above replacement. So he is part of a really good Blue Jays rotation now. Really good Blue Jays rotation, I should say. And I expect him to have a good year and to keep emerging. He had a fun debut last year, and he's a guy with a lot of talent, seemingly a lot of spirit, and it's going to be fun to watch. John Means, he's with the Orioles. He's projected to have an ERA roughly in the 4-3 range, 4.3, by various systems. In his two full seasons, he's been at 3.60 and 3.62, the two most recent full seasons. So perhaps the projection systems aren't treating him right he is a three plus player he's in arbitration now i'm sure if he has a good start to his season there'll be some trade talk about him again with the orioles at some point you've got to commit to people now john means might not be that guy he might be more valuable to you as a trade chip than someone who is going to be an impact pitcher going forward but at the same time when does that stop when does the churn stop so Two interesting guys, and I expect both to have really good years. All right, great questions again this weekend. It was so nice to read questions that had nothing to do with the lockout, and those will continue on as we get closer to baseball. If you want to get involved next time on the show, 646-543-7072 again is the number, or you can email us, tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Keep coming back to the Athletic Baseball Show. This week we got coming up the 3-0 show with Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, and Britt Giroli, and then uh, DVR will be back on Friday as well with Keith Law with that show. Once we get to the regular season so the week of april 7th we'll be going five days a week on this feed all the baseball you can get here at the athletic baseball show if you want to subscribe to the athletic great deal going right now one dollar per month for six months go to the athletic.com slash baseball show ken i know you have lots of stuff to chase down so we'll let you get going but great job answering the questions thank you tim have a great week all right we'll talk to everybody in a couple of weeks bye-bye
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.